You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Minton and welcome to our podcast. I'm delighted about our guest on the show today because, first of all, uh, we share a lot of the same passions for the outdoors and the sporting life, uh, but also because uh, our guest has been very successful in owning and leading an industrial manufacturing business in the heart of the Midwest. Uh, he's recently taken them through an ESOP transition and has also positioned himself to be able to back away from his business under his own terms. Tim Gase is our guest today, and he's the CEO and co-owner of the Peerless Saw Company based in the Columbus, Ohio region. He grew up in a small Midwestern town with a work ethic that he inherited from his parents, paid for his college education, and then went on to marry his wife, Jan, whom he's been partnered with for 31 years now. He and Jan also have two grown children who are out of the house and on their own, which is another feat in itself these days. So uh, congratulations, Tim, on successfully uh, navigating that avenue. He's, uh, he's only worked for two companies in his career, and that's uh, Cooper Industries in Dayton, Ohio, which he worked for for 12 years, during which he also had eight job titles while he was there. He also went back and earned his MBA during that time while, while he was at Cooper. And then he transitioned over to the Peerless Saw Company for the past 25 years. And the first four years, he was the CEO, and then he became the co-owner and also the CEO of Peerless Saw through uh, 2020. Tim also uh, loves the outdoors. He loves fishing, hiking, hunting, uh, building habitats for wildlife. He also likes to travel primarily throughout North and Central America. He has a couple of favorite drinks as well. Uh, he likes to sample microbrew beers and also uh, sample a couple of uh, different tequilas as well. Wow, Tim, it, it must be nice to be you. Please join me in welcoming our guest, Tim Gase, to the show. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a real pleasure uh, to have you today. And uh, so, Tim, let's just dive right in. I want to ask you, if you would, just maybe share a little bit of background about yourself prior to getting started at Peerless. Well, I went to uh, Cooper Industries right out of, co- of college. Uh, I went to Ohio High University. And, and when I got there, I started out uh, in the industrial engineering office as a, with a business degree. So uh, the engineering guys weren't real thrilled about hiring a, a a management kid into a um, engineering office, but it worked out. Um, from there, I moved out into production as a production supervisor um, in one of our major product lines. That was only six months after I got there. And then there was someone left the engineering office and they wanted me back in there. So I moved back in under a new title. Eventually, I, I, I was superintendent of all of second and third shifts. Did that job for about a year and a half. Fortunate, the, the unfortunate thing is they moved me to that position about two months after Jan and I got married. So she wasn't real thrilled about me going to work second and third shift, but uh, did that. And then finally, I ended up in charge of one of our product lines, which was called Universal Joints. And I had P&L responsibility for that part of our business, which at the time was probably about $8 million in sales. So, you know, I left there in 99, or excuse me, 95, 
to take the job at Peerless. And so it wasn't a big stretch to to come in and run that business after being in charge of the universal joint business at Cooper. Yeah, that's interesting, Tim. So uh, you were running an $8 million business uh, at Cooper and uh, and then transitioned over to Peerless Saw. How big was Peerless Saw at the time when, when you came on board? When I got there, we were about $6 million in sales, and it was owned by a Finnish corporation. But, but the real key thing was uh, when I got called for, for the interview for that job, the headhunter had called me, asked if I'd be interested in interviewing. I said, well, I, I've been through this before and I, I really don't think I want to go. And she's like, well, can you explain why? I was like, well, I think I've got the experience to run it, to, to do the job, but I'm only 33 years old and I'm going to get there and they're going to see how old I am. I think there's no way this young kid can, can do this. So uh, she was thought that was kind of an interesting answer, but understood Anyhow, she called me back two weeks later and said, hey, you really need to come for this interview. I think you may be a good fit for them. And long story short, they, I came, interviewed, things went well. And after the second interview, they offered me the job. Well, evidently, it must have turned out well because you stayed there uh, for 25 years. Either that or you were just very loyal. (laughs) (laughs) Evidently, things worked out pretty well. And so how big, tell us, how big is, uh, what's the average uh, revenues of Peerless Saw today? Um, Last year, we did about almost 12 million. Okay. So we've pretty much doubled in size over that period. Okay. So you've taken it through uh, some different challenges and, and things and uh, over the past 20 plus years. And I'm sure you, you've encountered a number of different obstacles and hurdles and, and things like that. And I'd, I'd like, if, if I could, Tim, just to ask you, what's been the biggest challenge that you have faced as the CEO of this company? Well, I, I guess there's, there's always a lot of me to think about, but probably the biggest one that sticks in my mind is it was clear back in 1999 when we were actually owned, Peerless was owned by a Finnish corporation and they were interested in divesting us from their part of their core business. So they were going to sell us to another company in our industry here in, in the States. This, this was actually the second time that this had happened since I'd been there. And I swore if it happened a second time, I wanted to be prepared to, to potentially try to, to buy it ourselves. So. We went back to the CEO of uh, Hackman was the name of the company and, and asked if, if they'd be interested in, in having us do a management buyout instead. And they really kind of didn't take us seriously at first because it was, was going to be a very leveraged deal for us. Um, and they didn't want us screwing up the, the deal that they were working on with this other company. But what happened is they came in, did their due diligence, and then left. And this was in June of June or July of 1999, and they did not know that the the CEO of Hackman had made a commitment to the board to have Peerless sold by the end of August. So there was a very short window there, and the buyers left after they did their due diligence and went on vacation. So finally, Hackman came back, asked Ken and I, my partner, if we would would like to submit an offer. And the problem was, this was August 10th. They needed the offer to them by the 13th. We needed to have the purchase agreement signed by the end of August and the financing in place by the 15th of September. And it was a highly leveraged deal. 
you know, because Ken and I didn't have a bunch of money sitting in the bank. And we were really fortunate in the fact that at that period of time, the banks were eager to lend money. And when it came down to the end of, I mean, we were looking at everything from, from mezzanine debt to angel investors, you name it, we looked at it. We, we had actually been working with a local bank prior to that. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll finance the deal for you. That was two weeks before we, we got the letter to sign to, to agree for the agreement. And they came back that following Monday and said, uh, we've reconsidered to leverage a deal. We, can't do, we don't want to do the deal. Yeah, were they, were they asking? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but were they asking yeah. to, to collateralize? You just didn't come, have enough collateral? Or what was, the, what, was the, right. what was the big obstacle that you were trying to that, overcome and getting it financed? That that was the biggest deal, we, we, biggest issue. You know, uh, just raw numbers, it was about a $4.5 million deal. Ken and I each put $70,000 in on it. So well, how in the world you know, did you guys overcome that challenge? I mean, that in <laughs> itself, I mean, I, like you said, a highly leveraged deal. How did, did you, one of you well, guys must have been a great, a great salesperson to the bank. Well, I, I honestly believe that the biggest influence was our attorneys. And it's interesting. I was uh, at the time I was a, was was a member of CBI, and there was one of the gentlemen in our group. His name was Dave Alt. Dave's still, I think, around here in Columbus. He was an older guy at the time, even. And he'd been he bought and sold businesses several times. And he told me, he says, "Look, you get what you pay for when you you get good accounts and good attorneys." And we were able to find a, a pretty good law firm. And it was kind of interesting when we, when we got to the the, the attorney's office. The, we walked into the conference room and the owner for the law firm had five or six other attorneys in the office with us. And it was more like them interviewing Ken and I at, at the time than anything else. And when we got done with kind of the interview, his name was Chuck Kegler and Chuck goes, you know what, let's get this deal done for these guys. I think they're sincere and they, and they got a good thing going. Let's get it done. And he had a lot of connections in town. And I, I really still think to this day that he put the word in the ear of a couple of the ban- local banks to, to try and help us get it done. And so that's wow. what happened in the end. We had, we had two banks bidding on the business at the very end and, okay. and got everything in place. So what, uh, looking back on that experience, uh, Tim, what, what did you learn from that? What, what was the key learning? You know, probably the biggest thing is you never know where you're going to find that piece of advice and, you know, f- from having conversations and to reach out to your, the network you have to try to find as many resources to try and get things done. Cause you're not going to have all the answers yourself. You know, and that was probably the, the biggest thing that helped us and, and not being afraid to make those phone calls and share the story and, ask for for help and one phone call may lead to three or four more to help you get through with everything well tim obviously it it worked out well for you and you know i appreciate you taking a moment to share uh that experience with us and you know we all go through hurdles and obstacles and challenges and then and as a business owner it's always something right you know you may have a, a good stretch for a little while, and sometimes you'll have a, uh, a patch where, you know, you've got an obstacle you have to overcome or a challenge that you have to overcome. And, and uh, you know, the key is, is we're, we're, mistakes are going to happen. Obstacles are going to occur. You know, it's just you have to have that tenacity to, to get through it and, and ask a lot of questions and work your way around it. And it sounds like 
you know, that's exactly what you and, and your partner Ken did. Uh, and, and you, and you got some help when you needed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the big thing for us. We didn't want to have to have, you know, an angel investor who was going to want 51% ownership or even partial ownership outside of what we had, you know, who would then dictate what we were doing. It had been no different than the situation we were in before with the fin zoning us. So that that was a, a the number one priority for us is to try and get this done without any other outside investors. So you were able to do it with traditional financing, highly leveraged. And I'm surprised that uh, that that you didn't have to put a mezzanine debt arrangement together. But it, it you know it's one of those things that you know you you were able to navigate it. You made it work out. And uh, what a great uh, what a great story of overcoming a, a hurdle that uh, could have really stood in your way. Timing, I'm sure, was a big factor in this because there are certain times when banks are willing to lend. Sometimes they're not. And, and, uh, you know, the timing must have been in your favor as well, it sounds like. Right, right. So, Tim, lead us through, now that we've talked about the biggest challenge that you've faced, lead us through what's been what's been the biggest success that you guys have had uh, so far. Well, I guess, personally, I would say raising two healthy, intelligent, hardworking kids. <laughs> but that's mostly, that's mostly Jan. But, but for the business-wise, I would say... The, the the biggest challenge or or the, the biggest success we've had, you know, we Peerless is a was started in 1931, so we're a company that's been in a mature market for a long time, and you know we were, were always profitable, but you know the profits were in that in that profit range of say four to eight percent on on average, and so the 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 biggest success in my mind has been the ability to to improve the profitability of the company over the years, you know. So today, our, our on, a, on an annual average, we are between 12 and 16 percent on our net profit level, and so that what is what I think is has been our our biggest success in, in being able to be in a mature industry and and still still be able to to have a highly profitable business. So so tell me more about that, Tim. How how did you guys go about doing that? You know, it's 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 not any just one thing. It's the accumulation of a lot of small things. You know, I I think the biggest thing is you you have to understand totally understand your financials, and what's what are the driving costs in your business, and do, then go back down and 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 pick through each one, and figure out how you can think outside the box in reducing costs, whether it's in some in, in purchasing or um, making improvements in your processes itself and, and always keeping an open mind. You know, I, I, I told, um, Steve, the guy that's, that's now taken over for me as CEO that, you know, sometimes you're going to get these cold calls. You can't just ignore them all because you never know which one might be something that could really help benefit you. Um, I, one example I had years ago, uh, we had a guy call us uh, about our taxes. Guy's name was Tom Poppenhouse. I'm never forgetting. He said, well, all I need to do is look at your last four-year tax returns and or three-year tax returns. He says, if I find anything that I think can save you money, then I split half of what I find. And he was a cold call. And had I not taken that call, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. 
it turned out this was back when there were investment tax credits for international sales and the law for the, the accounting firm that was doing that for us in the past, at that time totally missed that never asked the questions and figured that out i think the first well i when tom went through and did everything ken and i each got $55,000 back in re, redoing our taxes because of what he found that was our portion so it was $100,000 for the three year return that he redid and found and you know and so this is one of those things where I, you know, would never have never have gotten that if I hadn't taken a cold call. Tim, I know you're also a big believer in uh, two second lean. Uh, I know there's a, a number of things that that you probably have uh, that you've identified along the way. Is that one of those things that 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 you think has helped to contribute oh, towards maybe helping improve your margins? Absolutely. You know, I it's. Um, Another CBI member, Doug Scholl, got me started on this, and, and we've had it now. Well, it, this September it'll be our, gosh, I think it's our third year of doing it. Time flies, and it to me, it's probably one of the single best things that I've ever done with the company. And it's so simple. You just give the employees the opportunity to look at what are the things that bug you most about your job. Okay, here's here's a, a half hour each week to spend trying to resolve those issues, allow them to spend the money to fix these things. And, and the, 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 the improvements that some of these guys come up with is just phenomenal. I mean, and we've, we've got hundreds of them. Some, and we asked each person to keep track of all these and we, we walk the shop every two weeks to, to go through and have everybody share their improvement. And it's just been, it puts a smile on my face every time I walk down and listen to these guys. It's it's truly been one of the most amazing things we've been able to do, and it's and not, not cost only that, us probably I'm nothing. Not, and not, not only that, I'm sure it's made them feel like they've had some ownership, and um, you know, in in the company and uh, how it operates, and that they're putting their stamp on it as as well. Uh, what a yeah, great it, story! It, it ties in perfectly with this with the with the ESOP and and helping driving that that ownership thinking idea. So. Tim, uh, what is it that you believe that makes some people or some companies successful while other companies tend to struggle along the way or just can't seem to, to, to hit their groove and get into that next, that next round? You know, I, 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 being around a lot of uh, business owners over the years, the, the one thing that surprises me more than anything else is how many of them don't really know their financials as well as they should? You know, they, they see the net profit at the bottom of the page or, or loss, whatever, but all the stuff that's in between, they don't understand and not well enough to be able to figure out what's, what's, where's the leaks at? Where, where's, where are you losing your money at? And, you know, to, to try to be able to address it. You know, don't have benchmarks to to go off of what 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 is what should they be at for their SGNA or anything like that. And oftentimes, it's such an easy thing to try to get fixed once you look at it. Um, you may have to make some hard decisions, but sometimes those are the best decisions you have to make. Yeah, that's sage advice. And uh, you know, I know that you are a guy that. Uh, you know, throughout the years, I've watched 
and I've watched how you have absorbed things and learned uh, and picked up on things uh, like a sponge and you go back and implement new ideas and try new things and, and are always looking to, to grow your knowledge and, and, and so forth. I'm sure that's played a big role in, in how you've been successful and helping Peerless Saw to be successful as, as well. So what is it, Tim, that, that I mean, what, what is it that makes you optimistic about the future of Peerless Saw? Given where we are well, today, what, what, what is it that makes you think, okay, Peerless Saw is going to thrive and, and do well going forward? Well, first part of what you were talking there, what to bring up is, you know, to knowledge and picking things up. You know, well, one of the things I, I do there is I, I do read an awful lot or listen to an awful lot of books um, and, and always trying to, to pick up something new. The, the, the recent book that you uh, did the review on, uh, Don't Split the Difference with, with Negotiating, that, that book I wish I would have been able to read 20 years ago. That, that one was, was very good. Um, I agree with you, Tim. That's, that's probably the best negotiating book I've ever read. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, with the with Peerless, I'm you know looking at it for the future. You know, I'm really optimistic about for the company and uh, because of the team we've got in place today. Uh, we've got a really strong mix of uh, some senior leadership along with a couple of young managers who who are really doing a good job for the company. And you know. I think you know we're now we're now in our fourth year with the ESOP, and people I think are really starting to understand it more and how it can benefit them as uh, you know for their for their retirement, and that they can make a, a continue to make a difference in the business, and that those are the things that they need to have as a positive influence to help drive them for the future. You know, it's it's it, you don't see that in every company. And I, and I think that's one of the things that will make a difference for us in our industry. We're tied a bit to the housing market. And even with the, the COVID pandemic, you know, housing has still been fairly strong. So at least that side of our business is still picked up um, and held us fairly firm. The automotive side and uh, oil and gas are going to suffer for a while. But I think it will all recover pretty well once we get past this whole crisis, but, but I would guess it's probably going to be, if I was to guess in the middle of next year, maybe even longer before we really start to see things start to recover. And, and I, I, you know, I think it will. Well, the good news is Tim is that your company, you know, was positioned and I think set up, I know how you, how you run a business and understanding those financials and understanding what labors to pull, especially in a, uh, a downturn or a crisis or, a situation like that, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you were conservative on keeping a healthy balance sheet and, and uh, really uh, positioning your company to withstand uh, a curveball out of left field, essentially. And so we just wish you and the, and the, and the great folks at Peerless Saw just a lot of success going forward. Uh, Tim, you're a great company. You're a fantastic leader. And uh, you, you've put some great people into positions to I think uh, really flourish with that company, and we just hope it's around uh, another. Um, God, you said the company was started in 1913, I believe. Uh, 31, 1931. 1931. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Al almost a hundred years. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right at right at ninety years. Uh, so, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll continue to flourish for another ninety. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, uh, hey, uh, I know we're about about out of time, and I want to wrap this up. And I really appreciate you sharing uh, some of your key learnings and successes and challenges along the way as a leader uh, running a company. And I want to give our, our listeners an opportunity to connect with you. So where, where's the best place for them to go uh, in order to learn more about you or, or connect with you and, and Peerless Saw? Uh, with me directly, uh, my email is would be the easiest. My, and I've got my uh, Gmail account, which is tgase61 at gmail.com. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Just type in Tim Gase, you'll find me. Um, and, and, and as far as Peerless is concerned, you can find Peerless on many of the social medias. Um, you know, we're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, so you can or link, and LinkedIn, so you can find our, our our company in either of those locations. All right. Well, very good, Tim. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, we've really enjoyed the conversation with you this afternoon. And I look forward to uh, reconnecting with you again soon. The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one, get a copy of Kevin's book, In Search of Balance, The Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life at chiefexecutiveboards.com slash book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com slash events or call 864-527-5917.